0: Hello everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. Today, it's me, Greg, and I have Jeff and Aaron here, and we're here to recap our coverage from the Seattle Classic, 2016. To Start off, I want to ask you guys what your overall impressions were from Seattle this year. Jeff, I know you hadn't been to Seattle in over 12 years, so how has it changed since we're
1: there last? Sea Otter's grown up a lot in the last 12 years. So the last time I was there, I was actually attending just as a, you know, consumer. Um I was there with Leah actually. She was racing in one of the cross country races. So, um uh, back then, you know, it seemed like the exhibitor area wasn't nearly such a big deal. You know, it was a lot of like sort of small local retail type operations, you know, there were people selling like bike earrings and keychains and stuff and like maybe there was like a t-shirt guy but it really wasn't wasn't that big deal that big of a deal and now it's really cool to see all the brands that come out and you know really make it a a huge show I mean it's so huge that as a consumer I don't even think you could you could do it in a day you definitely couldn't see everything and talk to all the people um, that you would want to talk to so yeah so it's it's, sea otter's all grown up what about you Aaron what were your thoughts
2: I'm wondering how Jeff didn't went twelve years without going to sea otter. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm a big fan of of sea otter. It's you know kind of the kickoff to the season here in North America and it's just a really good time. There's a ton of companies out there showing new stuff and it's it's much better than uh interbike in my opinion it's it's like interbike, but it's outside and there's beer so um you know two two big checks in the win column for sea otter. Uh, but yeah it, it just seemed seemed like it was a really good show. everybody was in a really good mood. I think it's early in the season so a lot of people haven't been beat down by the other trade shows and all the travel that kind of goes along with uh, being in the bike industry. For a lot of us it's a you know the first time we've seen these people since interbike or maybe even Sea otter last year so it's really good to, to catch up with folks but overall it was a, it was a great show.
0: very nice. sad I missed it this year sounds like a really good time. Um, I saw on Instagram, Aaron, that you got to meet the Danny McCaskill. What was it like meeting the legend in person? Was he any different than you expected? That was awesome. I got to say that was my favorite
2: thing that happened at Sea Otter this year. He was just the coolest guy. I mean, just everything you could hope for, you know, humble, funny, uh, really down to earth. Um, and I don't know how really but uh, Jeff and I got invited to this POC dinner um, one night and uh, he was one of the athletes that was there and we got to hang out and you know shoot the shit over dinner for a few hours and it was it was awesome yeah he's a very cool guy you know he still lives in a an apartment with like seven other guys in Scotland so you know he's not uh, he's not out there balling or anything like that it just kind of plugging, plugging away, doing the same thing he's always been doing, but he's just, just a incredible inspiration. And, you know, you, you see him on all these videos and you think he's probably a cool guy. And then it turns out he's just as cool as you could have hoped for. And, um, it was, it was really kind of funny because he doesn't, he doesn't do a whole lot of stuff in the U S and this was actually the first time he had been to sea otter. So there was a lot of other media that, I had never met him either so some of these things that we were at you'd see like everybody was like oh danny i just wanted to say like i'm a huge fan you know my kids love you and it's cool to see all these people that generally don't get starstruck you know kind of come up and just be like hey, i just wanted to, you know like i got a picture with you um, <laughs> that's
1: awesome
2: that was by far the highlight of the
1: trip for me like aaron said he just seems really accessible too you know he was there um, supporting a lot of the brands that, you know, he works with. And so he's you know, constantly signing autographs and like being at different booths and stuff. But, you know, every time I saw him or walked by a booth where he was like, he was really engaged with, you know, everybody who came up and, um, yeah, just super chill guy and didn't, doesn't seem to, you know, have any of the, I don't know, attitude that I would expect someone of, you know, his skill level to have. Like I would I would totally have attitude if I could do what he could do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jeff's got attitude now. So. <laughs> right. And I can't even do anything. So
0: <laughs> man, yeah, I'm definitely a little bit jealous. I
1: would uh, would love to meet Danny McCaskill someday. He's gonna be at the Embo World Summit this year in Arkansas. That's Very
2: right. Cool. Yeah. In uh November, right? In Bentonville, yeah. Arkansas.
1: That's so, not too yeah. far.
2: Yeah. You just pop over there real quick and yeah, <laughs> right on. And an uh, uh, interesting bit of uh, trivia I learned from Danny. He uh, can bunny hop as high as his nipples. So that's what, <laughs> that's how he says he measures things. Um, he can, if, yeah, if he walks up to a wall or a rail or whatever and it's nipple height or lower, he can bunny hop onto it. So, <laughs>
0: so there that's, you go.
2: That's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's too funny. Um, Sweet. Well, on to the technology a little bit. Did you guys spot any emerging trends at Sea Otter this year that we haven't, you know,
1: really discussed before? There are a few things going on. Um, one of them that was really unexpected for me is sort of this renaissance in 29ers. Specifically, sort of trail bike, longer travel 29ers. And, you know, you're seeing these bikes from Yeti, uh, YT with the Jeff C. Um, santa cruz you know with their high tower and and what's interesting is you know obviously 29ers have been around a long time and people seem to sort of move on to 27.5 once that came out Um, but nowadays people are getting way more excited about 29ers than 27.5 bikes and i asked one of the guys at yt what he thought it was why you know people were excited about 29ers again you know I thought maybe it was just people had tried 27.5 and it didn't deliver sort of the benefits that they thought it would. um, And they were going back to 29. Um, But what he said was that he thought that really it was was the designs that are going on right now and specifically the designs that are enabled by Boost 148. Um, So he's saying you can make, you know, stiffer wheel sets for 29ers uh which allows them to you know be sort of burlier bikes um and also you can get shorter chainstays um making them you know more nimble um and so yeah it's just really interesting that we're still sort of dialing in the 29er and there's still a lot of life left in the the whole concept you know behind these bigger wheels so that's pretty exciting to see and and I think even in the next couple of weeks you're going to be seeing uh even more 29ers long long travel like trail 29ers coming out
2: yeah i would uh, definitely agree with with jeff and overall um you know while there are some longer travel bikes i think one of the other kind of trends that's going on is shorter travel but aggressive uh trail bikes like one of the ones that jeff and i actually rode was uh, the norco optic and it's um uh, i think 120 millimeter travel in a 29er and 130 and 27.5 they're doing both um but yeah they're you know the reach is really long they've got slackish head angles so i think uh like a lot of people maybe are realizing that a couple years ago they maybe bought a 27.5 160 travel bike and maybe they're realizing that they don't really need all that much bike and you know they're not racing the enduro world series so maybe maybe a bike that could take the top step in the podium isn't really necessary for their trails Um, so i think you're starting to see that maybe a little a little bit of a trend towards a decrease in travel for some riders Uh, but otherwise i would just say there are just more options i mean jeff and i saw a few bikes with 26 plus now Um, so now we have kind of started out with 29 plus then it went to 27 plus and now it's a 26 plus and one of the things about the 26 plus is you can looks like you can run it on a lot of standard 27.5 frames so for instance salsa had a new bike called the red point which is a 27.5 150 mil travel trail bike it's also compatible with 26 by three inch wheels and tires so uh basically there's just more options so if that leads to it might lead to some more confusion uh you know another one like trek you know trek is doing a 27.5 fat bike now so um yeah it's just you, now you can pick your wheel size and pick your tire width so wh- whatever you want to ride you want to ride 29er do you want to ride 29 plus do you want to ride twenty-seven-five 27.5 plus twenty-seven-five fat it's just uh seems seems to be endless options which you know i think is is a good thing in the long run you can really choose the exact bike you want for how you want to ride so it's good to have choices
1: yeah the 26 plus that was something that um i guess it was surly came out with like the first and and the only 26 plus the instigator yeah for a long time but what we saw this year was Some companies using 26 plus on their women's bikes. So, um, you know, they'll make a women's specific version of say a 27 plus bike, uh, but they'll put 26 inch plus tires on it. And WTB is making a scraper rim set. That's that size. Um, and you know, seeing as how WTB kind of, you know, kickstarted the whole, this whole idea of 27 plus specifically 27 plus conversions, Um, it's, it's interesting to see them, you know, supporting 26 plus, and they also have tires as well. There was a new tire called the Ranger as a 26 plus three inch tire, uh, that was at the show. It's also interesting what we didn't see on the plus front. I didn't see a single 29 plus bike being displayed anywhere.
2: I don't think I did either.
1: Oh, that's interesting. You know, we just did, did the survey of plus bike owners. And in that survey, we found about half the people had 29 plus bikes and the other half had 27, five plus bikes. Um, but I think you're going to be seeing that shift a lot coming up in the next couple of years. Um, 29 plus, yeah, it just doesn't seem to be something people are interested in, you know, originally it was something that was being pitched for like bike packing and that sort of thing, but you're seeing all kinds of companies doing bike packing rigs, but they're you know, 27, five plus, um, you know, even Jameis is like pitching their bikes as like bike packing rigs, um, which I think is interesting. And, you know, especially for a brand that doesn't really have that sort of heritage, at least in my mind. And then I'll briefly talk about this, but, um, e-bikes, you know, there was the first ever e-mountain bike race in North America was held at Sea Otter this year. And, um, the race itself wasn't as exciting as you might think. Uh, it was just a cross-country race, um, but a bunch of people on e-bikes. Uh, there was word that there was one guy who did the race, a pro rider, did the race on a regular mountain bike, sort of in protest. And from what I heard, he did okay in the race, um, which is interesting. But he didn't win it. Uh, e-bikes are faster. So, <laughs> um, But yeah, we just saw a lot of people riding them around. Um, you know, I talk to people in the industry and a lot of them don't understand sort of the level of, you know, resistance that mountain bikers have to e-mountain bikes. Um, and it sounds like a lot of them are, you know, moving forward with plans to come out with e-bikes, e-mountain bikes in North America. So, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to watch and see how that, plays out you know if if these vocal mountain bike consumers who are anti e-bike are going to be able to keep this you know development at bay um, but doesn't doesn't look like it especially with specialized you know jumping into it full force you know i think you're going to see some of the other big bike companies jumping in as well
2: definitely agree with that and the major brands were very sure not to say anything negative about uh (laughs) e-mountain bikes so (laughs) Right. Um, they're definitely hedging their bets, but something, you know, Jeff and I had talked about briefly on the trip was I just, I can't imagine that the market is that huge for E mountain bikes. I mean, you know, you're talking a capable E mountain bike on the low end for a hardtail is probably going to be what, two grand. And then as you move up into full suspension, you're talking five grand or more. And I, I don't know, to me, it just seems like if there is a market there it's small and it's going to get saturated with a quickness so there may be a lot of people who jump on the electric bike bandwagon a little bit too late and then they're going to be stuck with a bunch of bikes they can't sell cuz nobody wants them but that's just that's what i think i mean you know i there are there are people that uh can benefit from e-bikes and yeah, you know, I know that that whole sad story. I'm old, or I'm you know, I don't have a leg, and you know, there there so there're legitimate reasons for having one, but um, you know, they're not for me. They're motorbikes, and you know, I think it's really going to kind of muddy some access issues as we've as we've discussed before. So maybe maybe that's a another topic for another yes, podcast. that'll be fun. Do another e-bike <laughs> podcast.
1: Yeah. Well. I, it, I will note, too, that California is very e-mountain bike friendly. You know, their recent laws that they passed sort of allowed e-bikes on a lot of the trails there made it official that you can ride e-bikes off-road in California in a lot of places. So perhaps the enthusiasm that we saw is more of a California thing. And, you know, the reception wouldn't be quite so... Um, open you know if it was held somewhere else like colorado or you know even back east
2: if i had the money to buy a electric mountain bike i wouldn't get an electric mountain bike i would get an electric dirt bike or an electric trials bike something like that
1: yeah Uh, because you still got a pedal yeah exactly
2: i don't (laughs) i don't want that give me everything you know give me some half-assed you know quasi motorbike give me a real motorbike
0: I think it's interesting what you're saying, Aaron, about like how the, the market is actually a lot smaller than people than the brands seem to think it is, you know, which I think that's a pretty valid argument. Why? But why do you think they haven't realized that or they think the opposite?
1: I think it could be bigger if the technology improved. Right. So if we all, you know, if they can shrink the battery sizes, if they can make them last longer, if they can, you know, work through a lot of the negative issues with them. Um, then I think the market will be bigger, right? It's like, it's just like these, these cheater, like doper motors that people are putting in their bikes. Like those things are pretty sweet if you think about it, right? Cause it looks like a bike. Like all it does is just give you a little extra power. So I think if, if they can, you know, start to sell these, then they can, you know, work on the tech more and, and they'll get better over time.
2: Yeah, I will. I will say, yeah, definitely. The they've they've got to get lighter, um, for, for the market to open up anymore. I watched the. Uh, I was actually at the Rocky Mountain booth, and when I was there, you could see the entire e mountain bike course that when they were racing, it was up on this hillside, so you could see the riders. And one thing I would say, they're pretty much going the same speed the entire time. So uphill and downhill, they were just hauling ass, doing you know twenty miles an hour the entire time. But you could definitely tell when a couple of the people's batteries died because they were moving backwards (laughs) in a hurry. I mean, it's like, yeah, you you know, your battery dies. All of a sudden, you're on a 50-pound bike, and that sucks. I don't know if anyone's ever ridden a 50-pound bike. Um, I have, but it was downhill, and (laughs) it was a lot better than trying to ride it flat or uphill (laughs)
1: also.
0: I've tested a few e-bikes at different expos, and my most recent test, um, I had issues with the engine con- constantly cutting out on me and like having to reboot the system, and so I ended up pedaling a fifty pound fat e or e bike fat bike, which was which was insanely miserable. So uh you don't you don't want to lose your power. You're pretty much pretty much screwed if that happens.
2: Yeah, you don't want to be the guy on the side of the trail when, you know, you're having a mechanical but you're having an electronical. Where, sorry, I got to reformat my computer before we take off. <laughs> Let
0: me resync it with my iPhone and reboot my software. Yeah, it
2: <laughs> Yeah,
0: hold on. I got to
2: update <laughs> iTunes or else I can't ride my bike today.
0: Uh Man, I feel like we could go a lot of directions with this. So um, <laughs> one uh, one other question I had for you guys was regarding you know all these different tire sizes we're seeing tires and wheels twenty six plus twenty seven five plus twenty nine plus. Um, do you think it's going to be difficult for the average bike shop to keep up with this and to keep enough tires and wheels in stock for you know all the potential customers that they'll see?
2: Oh yeah. Local bike shops are screwed, man. They are <laughs> like, how, like seriously, how can you, you know, you've got okay, so the major ones you've got twenty seven five and twenty nine, right, and then you've got road bike wheels, obviously, but then you know you've got fat bike wheels, which some are twenty six inch, and there's all different sorts of widths of rim depending on the application, and then you know you have endless tire sizes, and it's yeah, and now you're adding. 27.5 fat to the mix and you're adding 26 plus to the mix so it's uh yeah it's i there you just can't stock that kind of stuff you know so it's it's gonna be the case where you go to your local bike shop and you need a tire and they're gonna say well we can order it for you so mm-hmm. um which sucks i mean that sucks for for the local shops but you know maybe you know depending on where the shop is and kind of what their core rider market is they can tailor it to that you know certain shops are able to do that you know like shops in pisgah or something like that they know most of their guys are riding guys and girls are riding you know long travel trail bikes so they're going to have burly tires for 27.5 and 29 because that's going to cover most of the market but then you get some guys in there on vacation tears a tire coming down black mountain or something and he needs a 27 plus tire but they don't have any in stock and then you're you're kind of screwed so stock up i guess if there if there's a size you like stock up while it's still supported
1: yeah you raise an interesting point too i mean i wonder if all these different sizes and you know interesting bikes would exist without the internet right like all these things are kind of niche products and they're addressing very specific needs you know and in the old days There wasn't the infrastructure to support that, you know, it was just bike shops and they could only carry so many items and you could only market to, you know, sort of a broad audience, but you know, the internet has kind of enabled this. And so in a lot of ways, the, the bike shops are kind of the last, you know, remaining part of that, that, um, doesn't really work with it.
0: Can you guys tell me what the coolest single product was that you saw displayed this year?
2: For me, it was a product I saw on the very first day. Uh, it was Hope's prototype HB two eleven carbon bike. Um, so Hope, as many people know, is uh, a manufacturer based in the UK, and they make hubs and stems and cranks and chain rings and all sorts of awesome stuff out of aluminum. They've been around for I don't know twenty years or so now. Um, they make brakes, so they, they make a wide variety of, of bike components, and their thing has always been, it's made in the UK, we make everything in-house. And the founders of the company have always wanted to make a bike, you know, because they make so much stuff that goes on a bike. They thought, wouldn't it be cool if we made our own bike? So they did that, but they went carbon fiber instead of uh, making it out of aluminum, which is really cool, but they machine the, the mold for the for the frame in-house. Uh, so, you know, you like machine it out of a big block of aluminum and they got uh, some local carbon experts because where they're located, there are a lot of F1 racing teams there and there's a lot of aerospace industry. So they had some engineers that are in the area that helped them sort through some things. But uh, it's a it's a cool looking bike. It was, you know, it's a prototype and they're not promising they're going to put it into production uh, or anything like that, but it was it was it was a really cool bike, and they did since they were designing it from the ground up. They, uh, you know, made some choices that only they could, like the the rear end doesn't use any sort of st- standard spacing that you've ever heard of. They did uh, it's one thirty by seventeen millimeter. So um, yeah, they were able to do that because they make hubs, and you know they can you know they make everything. So. Uh, and then the the rear brake is radially mounted, which is something different and requires a specific caliper. But again, when you make the caliper, or you can do that when you can just you know turn on the CNC machine and whip out a new caliper. So that was really cool, um, you know. And and depending on what people think and what if there's demand there, they it may make it into production. So that I think that would be super cool to see.
1: I personally have a hard time wrapping my head around a lot of like suspension stuff and bike stuff. Cause it's like, to me, it's, it's really complicated. You know, I just jump on the bike and just have fun. But um, so for me, the coolest stuff was the really simple stuff that I saw. Um, There's the fabric really blew me away with a lot of their products. They had a cageless water bottle, which was a really cool like simple design you know you hear that and you're like how on earth and then you see it and you're like oh that totally makes sense like how come nobody thought of that before they also have a lock-on grip that's like got little cutouts on it so that it's super lightweight um, and also really flexy they they claim it's the lightest the most lightweight uh, lock-on grip on the market and they also the lock-on grip is interesting because it only locks on on one side so Um, it'd be interesting to try that and see if, if it slips at all on the, the non-locked side. Um, but it, yeah, looked really cool and simple. Um, and then fabric also their saddles are super sweet, but they had one that was like, it was almost like a Nike air, uh, chamber that's on the saddle. So the saddle basically just like has an air bubble, uh, between, you know, sort of like the base and the, um, fabric cover. So, um, Yeah. I wasn't familiar with the brand at all. And it was like, everything I saw, I was like, whoa, how do you guys come up with that stuff? Where's Fabric based for those of us who aren't up to speed? I believe in the UK. Their prices are in British pounds. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> ask Sounds like that. a good bet though.
0: <laughs> um, so how about the most unusual out there? Who thought of this and why did they market it product?
1: I'm gonna switch my answer then that was unusual what I just said but the cool stuff so on the same on the same lines the Topeak booth was really cool they had um, again really simple interesting stuff but um, finding ways to like you know stash different tools in different parts of your bike so they had like a pump that can fit in your uh, seat tube they had a chain tool that goes inside your bars like it's basically like a replaces your end caps on your bars and puts a little tool in there. Um, And then they had, yeah, just some cool pumps and stuff. It really reminded me, it was almost, I felt like I was James Bond, like going into Q's lab, you know, and he's like (laughs) showing me all these gadgets that he has. And I mean, Topi it's kind of like that every year. Like you never know what they're going to do. And and every year it's, it's pretty interesting. The most
2: unusual thing I saw was a product called Click Heat. And it was these like weird gel heating pad things but they are reusable and basically what's inside of this like this bag is a sodium acetate solution and there's like a little coin looking thing that floats around in there and what happens when you like click this little coin it creates a chemical reaction that causes the sodium acetate to heat up and I think it gets to 120 degrees or something like that and it happens instantaneously and so it goes from being this you know like colored solution sloshing around this bag into like a a much firmer gel type substance it was really bizarre but it worked really well it was actually uh, pretty cool and um, I apologize to the the sales girl there because she was pitching me real hard and uh, I told her I wasn't going to buy one from the get go, and at the end, when she still wanted me to buy one, and I told her, I told her I wasn't gonna buy one. She was really disappointed. So, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry to her, but she did a great job. She a thorough product presentation. That was really uh, bizarre and cool. And you actually, um, you can reuse them almost. You know, I think they said they have a twenty year life expectancy. And so, what you do is you boil it, and it goes back to a liquid state. And then it's ready to go for the next time. But, yeah, they have ones that fit around your, you know, your, your lumbar. They have ones for your neck. They have little ones you can use for hand warmers.
0: I remember them pitching that at uh, Interbike last year. So glad you actually <laughs> entertained the uh, entertained the idea for sure. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about bikes. I know you guys did some test rides. Uh, what was the best bike you rode and why?
2: Well, I only rode two bikes. Uh during the trip. So, um, I rode the Santa Cruz high tower and then the, the Norco optic in both 29 and 27 five. So, um, man, it'd be hard to choose any one of those actually, uh, probably the high tower just because, I mean, the, uh, the test loop at sea otter is not super fun. I mean, really you could ride a cyclocross bike around that trail with no problem at all. So it's kind of really hard to get a gauge for a bike's, you know, suspension performance and, and things like that. Um, at least any kind of, you know, big hit performance, you can, you can get a feel for the handling and how well it climbs and, you know, how efficient it is at pedaling, which the optic was great, but the high tower actually got to ride, uh, in Santa Cruz and kind of put it through its paces a little bit more and ride the bike how it was intended to be ridden and it was it was a stupid fun bike so um you know i know i've been talking a lot about going to smaller travel but man you ride a bike like the high tower and you know it's not that heavy i think my size large was 28 pounds or something you're like this isn't that heavy it pedals really well and it can take some big hits so you're like maybe maybe i don't want to go smaller travel but <laughs> I don't know, then you jump on the optic and you know, the thing rides like a cross-country bike when you're climbing.
1: Yeah, I rode I rode four different bikes at Sea Otter. And yeah, like Aaron said, the, the trails leave a lot to be desired. Um, but I would say that most interesting was that Norco Optic test ride. Because the bike, you know, it's we rode two, basically there were two different versions of the bike. There's a 29er and a 27.5. So Aaron and I, we got one of each, um, and went out on a ride together and then switched bikes midway through. So I jumped on the 27 five, he jumped on the 29er and the, I mean, it felt like the same bike, which was really interesting. And that's by design, you know, Norco designed it so that, um, so the bikes would have exactly the same ride feel, um, with the different wheels and it, they don't just. You know, put different wheels on it. The geometry is different. A lot of the components are different. The like the stem uh, links are different, um, and they so suspension travels different. Yeah, the two, yeah. So. It, so they they like turn all the levers and dials to make these bikes ride the same, um, and they do. My question though is is sort of why right? Like if they ride exactly the same, uh, you know, what's the point of what's the point of having two different wheel sizes and you know, the best answer I could get is, well, you know, people are kind of stuck in their wheel size thing right now, you know, saying like, Oh, I only ride 29ers or 29ers are too big. So I need a 27 five. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's it's a lot of work to put into that to like make those two bikes, um, so similar and and they both ride great too by the way like they're they're really solid bikes i honestly don't know which one i would choose i'd probably i would but i would do the same thing i would i'd be like well i'm tall so i guess i should ride a 29er like my other bikes are 29ers um but yeah yeah it's a great bike either way
2: yeah they really did hit the nail on the head with making them feel identical i mean when we swapped halfway through jeff and i were both like whoa this feels (laughs) exactly the same. I mean, they even like on the 29er, the head tube height is, is shorter to keep your bars at the same height between the two. So, you know, frame to frame they're you know, from wheel size to wheel size, they're, they're making all these little, little tweaks to keep them the same. Like Jeff said, it's not just like, Oh, we put, you know, a different stem on this one. There's a lot of thought that went into it. And yeah, they're both awesome bikes, but you know, going back to kind of what I said earlier, it's just options, you know. People people got options now, so. Yep. Like Jeff, I would have a hard time choosing between between the two. Cuz you know, the the 275 is a little snappier and, you know, a little bit more playful, but the, uh, you know, the 29er is going to roll a little bit better and, you know, probably be a better choice for um, you know, longer days in the saddle, but it's it's cool that they're they're offering that
0: very neat thanks for sharing guys and if anybody wants to read more about either of those bikes be sure to check out singletracks.com and we've got the reviews posted for you so to wrap this up uh, do you have any tips to share with the average joe mountain biker who might be interested in going to see our next year hanging out and uh, checking out the event what would you tell them to do
2: i'd say go it's a great time what how much were the weekend passes jeff
1: Uh, it was like $15 a day or yeah, maybe it was like 25 for two days or something. Yeah. And you can definitely make that up in free shit. So
2: going around (laughs) getting hats and koozies and t-shirts and stuff like that. So it's, it's just a, it's a great time. And you know, there's people demoing bikes and demoing all kinds of stuff like Envy had, um, they were demoing their wheels so you could bring your own bike and get a sweet set of Envy's and. You know, go thrash them as much as you can thrash stuff out there on the trails. Um, Yeah, it's just a great time. And if you're thinking about going, if you're on the fence, I'd say do it. It's a it's a great event. Um, And bring sunscreen. Yes. In a rain jacket.
1: Yeah. On the same day. (laughs) I'd say if you don't like crowds or if you want to get a lot of demo rides in, um, definitely try to, you know, take off work or whatever and go like Thursday and or Friday. Yeah, uh, The crowds are much lighter, and, um, yeah, you can just get a lot more done if you go on those days.
2: Yeah, Saturday and Sunday are a bit of a gong show.
1: Right on. Well,
0: thanks for filling this in on Seattle, guys. And uh, we will be back next week with the podcast. Talk to you guys later. Peace.